Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for this sermon that you gave to us to help us know you better, to help us understand your kingdom, and to help us honor you. Pray that you'd be with Locke this morning as he speaks. I pray that you'd also be with us. Make our hearts soft and open to your words. Help us to learn a little bit more about you. And also that you'd increase in our lives and we would decrease. Jesus, just make this a community that honors you and seeks to build your kingdom first, not to build ourselves up. Jesus, we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Um, how many of you were here when I, I preached a couple weeks on uh, the Beatitudes? Just gauging because I wanted to know how much context I need to give. Um, so this is, Jen, it's okay that you aren't here. You don't need to feel guilty about it. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. You're watching my daughter. Thank you. Thank you. You're such a servant. Um, well, this is part two. Uh, um, this week, it, it's really been really cool to study the Beatitudes because I feel like the Lord's been revealing some really neat stuff to me. Uh, this morning, we're doing something that I haven't done before, but um, I'm a very visual person, so I, I drew some illustrations. Uh, so we'll swing that around. I don't want to distract anyone quite yet, but we'll get to that. Um, so I was up with Aubrey, and actually, the, the song that was just played, um, Tony, the first time I ever played it with Tony, Tony wrote that song, that last song. And I had just come off a week at, uh, in Yosemite Valley, and Tony played, played that song for me. And it was really cool, because I'd just been in Yosemite Valley and seeing like, the floor, and then you know El Capitan, and everything like that. You're just like, wow, that's, there's a big difference between the, the valley and the, the top of the mountain. But anyway, so... Thought I'd just share that. That has nothing to do with my sermon. <laughs> but um, so we were in Yosemite uh, Valley about a month ago, and um, this is my first time there. I, I, it was on the bucket list for stuff that I, I wanted to do when I was in California. Um, we've been here for about four or five years now, and that was absolutely something that I had never had the opportunity to. And I've seen a lot of really cool things, but it was just unbelievable, um, just to see just how huge and how beautiful it was. I, I, very few times in my life has my breath actually been taken away, but when we came, in, came into Yosemite Valley for the first time, my breath was absolutely taken away. It was gorgeous. Um, but one of the things, I can't remember if I read it on like a pamphlet or if I heard uh, a park ranger talking about it, was um, so in 1865, I believe, Abraham Lincoln, I think it was the first public land that they granted as a national park, um, or they granted as public land as a national park, and uh, so 
when that became a national park, um, part of the park ranger's job was to protect it, you know, to, to have it open for the public so that people could come and, and use it and, 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 and get to see that beauty. Uh, and even, even as, you know, population grew and, and things changed, that they'd get the chance to preserve that beauty. And so one of the things initially they thought was that um, at all costs, don't let fires go through and destroy it, no matter what. Um, you know, so one of the first duty as park rangers was just to preserve the, the forest no matter what happened. And so basically from about 1865 to about like 1970, they did a really great job of keeping fires out for the most part. Um, but interestingly enough, what happened was uh, 1970s, 1980s, some of the park rangers began to see that um, there was a generation of sequoias kind of missing uh, there was a lot of kind of growth on the ground, and the big sequoias were totally fine, but there was almost like a generation of sequoias missing. In fact, what happened was they, um, one of the, the, the big sequoias was cut down or fell down or whatever, but they were examining the rings of the tree. And, you know, you can uh, see kind of the age of a tree based upon the rings. And so, like, every year or every couple of years, they'd see these scar, like, on the rings, and you could tell that there was a fire, like every two and a half years, typically caused from like a lightning strike or whatever. And then from like that 1865 to like that 1970, there was no scars, so there were no fires. And so what they found out was it was kind of nature's way, or God's way, of kind of preserving the environment and allowing like a burn to take place every couple of years to, to take out all the undergrowth, undergrowth. Because what happens is when a little fire comes through, um, it heats up the, the, the um, pine cones in the trees. Well, it burns the undergrowth, which exposes the soil, heats up the pine cones, and then the seeds fall out of the pine cones into the dirt, into the, into the at this point now, um, you know, mineral-rich dirt. And so that allows the trees to not only have space to grow, it has fresh soil, and so that kind of cycle... And this is what I'm really getting at. That's, that re- cycle of regeneration is, is vital to preserving the natural environment. And so to me, it was just incredibly intriguing. But um, I, you'll see how that applies in a minute. But I just kind of want to lead off with that story. But before we get into the Beatitudes, I do want to pray real quick. Um, Dear only Father, Lord, I just I thank you so much for the opportunity just to get up here. And um, Lord, and just have a, have a chance just to, to open your word up and study your word, Lord. How lucky are we to, to be here in a community uh, to worship you? And Father, I just pray that there be a sense of urgency this morning in, in, the, um, in the scripture and what you're revealing to us, Lord, and that you bring us clarity and um, just preserve our hearts, Father God. Allow us to understand um, the cycles that you take us through and the reasons for them and how we can continue to grow in you. In your name I pray, amen. So one thing that has really jumped out to me in the Beatitudes. And the reason I really, um, the, the first time I got up here and spoke, I spoke on blessed is the, is the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we really kind of talk about, talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. And, um, and what it, I'll just kind of circle back on it a little bit, but really what we got to is, is poor in spirit is not um, an earthly definition. It's not a carnal definition. What I mean to be poor in spirit is it's a gospel-driven humility. It's not like a self-deprecating false humility. It's a legit humility that only can be revealed to you 
through the Holy Spirit. And so a couple of the illustrations that I used um, were, uh, I, I talked about the great divorce and the journey that um, the patron takes in, in the great divorce as he comes to get closer to um, heaven or as he's in heaven journeying, as he gets closer, he becomes more of a solid figure. He goes from a ghostly figure to a solid figure. And, and, and as that happens, he loses track more of his self and looks more towards God. So it's like him decreasing and Christ increasing, and he becomes more solid. And, um, and then another illustration that I used was um, um, the, the lifeguard or, or the waterman, that someone that really understands the ocean has a really healthy fear of the ocean. Um, I, I think it's Proverbs. What is it, Proverbs? 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, you, that lifeguard that understands the danger of the ocean, understands the capability of that ocean, of the ocean, has more of a, a fear and respect for it than someone that just comes and just is at the beach for a day or someone that doesn't necessarily understand that. And see, what happens is that awesomeness of God and that fear of the ocean drives him to a natural humility. And that's kind of how it should with us. As we get to know God even more and understand his awesomeness, it should drive us to an, a natural spirit of humility. And then the third illustration that I used was the story of Louis Zamperini and, and the book Unbroken. Um, and how, you know, Louis endured um, incredible hardship in World War II. But uh, I, honestly, it's, it's kind of ironic. The name of the book is Unbroken. However, it wasn't until he went through all that, like all this torture, everything having to do World War II, um, POW, everything like that. But it wasn't until... He met God at a Billy Graham crusade, and for the first time in his life, he was broken. And, and that spirit of, hum, of humility was the first time that he experienced that, and he could begin to be healed from that and all the atrocities that took place in war. So that's kind of the driving force behind blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what I mean by poor in spirit. And so I think it's really interesting when, when Jesus sits down to, to talk about the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, he really, you know, I think it's really important to understand the context of what it means to be poor in spirit because you can't, we can't even get into these other beatitudes without even getting that one. Um, and so what, one thing I really kind of want to take a, a, a couple seconds to go through real quick um, is kind of the journey of, of, of a believer and what, it, what that looks like. Um, you know, we are, as believers, um, living in the already but not yet. And what I mean by the already but not yet is we have been justified. And justification basically means, you know, uh, let's see, what's that? Ephesians 2, 8, 2, 8 through 10. Let's look at that real quick. Ephesians. It says, all right. Galatians. Sorry, really not this slow. I promise you. So it says, um, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So justification basically is that point in your life where you become a believer. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Once you're justified, you're justified. You're a co-heir with Christ. Right? So after you're justified, that is a point in your life. It is... Um, once you're justified, you enter into, uh, in the Christian life, you enter into sanctification. Sanctification now is more that journey um, as growing 
closer to Christ. Um, and then ultimately glorification is when uh, you are uh, separated from your carnal body and you, you're in heaven and you're in that perfect glorified state. But what I'm talking about this morning, and I think what really, really what Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes, he's talking about, okay, so what does the daily journey look like as a Christian? And so um, a couple of things that I really want to address is, so we are living in the already, so Christ has come and he's granted us the Holy Spirit and we're justified in him, but not yet. Hold on, I just dropped my... My mic fell. Sorry. I'm a little embarrassed. There we go. So the already, Christ has already come, has granted us the Holy Spirit, but not yet. We're not in our glorified state. So we're living in this sanctification right here. So what the, what the, what the Christian life should look like, um, and it's funny, you know, you go to a lot of churches and, um, you know, different denominations, whatever, but I think some, it's, it's really interesting. You know if a church gets the gospel because of the amount of humility in the church and the amount of humility within the leadership. And so... And I'll get to that in a second. But what happens is, as you grow as a believer, you become more aware of God's holiness. So this arrow right here is going, God's holiness. And you become more aware of yourself and your depravity and your need for him. So as you grow as a believer, the cross should get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because he has to overcome that need that you have in your life. Um, and so it's... You shouldn't be, as a Christian, growing in pride. If anything, you should be growing in brokenness and utter depravity and understanding your need um, as a Christian. Therefore, the cross and what Jesus did on the cross should be becoming bigger and bigger and bigger every single day. So I kind of wanted to just hash that out a little bit before I get into um, the next um, verse here. So... So one thing that I think is really cool, the, the, the word uh, blessed, so as you can see in the Beatitudes, it's, it's blessed are the poor in spirit, and there's the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So there's this blessing, and then there's a promise following that blessing. And the word blessing, and I think Greek means, uh, it's makarios, and it means to be divinely happy. So when it says blessed are, it's talking about being divinely content, divinely fulfilled. It's not this earthly, hey, your materialism or, or your material needs are met, it's being divinely, fundamentally, and God says, I will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. But at the same time, this is what, what God's talking about here is being divi- divinely happy and what that means, which I think is really cool. Um, so I'm going to take a look. Actually, I'll talk a little bit about this. So, uh, if, you've, if you haven't noticed, throughout the whole Bible, there's um, kind of these, these stories of, of these kind of like tragic heroes. Um, and ultimately, like you, you read the story of Samson or David, but they're all somehow like flawed at the end of it. And really, the only true hero in the Bible is Jesus, um, who isn't flawed. But at the same time, uh, so last Sunday, um, we went and saw the movie Hercules starring Dwayne Johnson, um, a.k.a. The Rock. And uh, it was really interesting because I, when I saw that story, immediately it reminded me of Samson. Um, because you have um, this guy, Herculean guy, that um, you know, is, is basically the son of, uh, of Zeus or whatever. And, and he goes to save the people and he takes down um, the false god. But anyway, 
So I want to talk a little bit about the story of, of Samson for a second because I think it's pretty interesting. Um, so basically, I, I don't know how familiar you are with Samson, but his, his mother got a word of God when he was little, uh, a word from, from an angel when he was little that um, he was gonna, they were going to have this son and he would be, this is Judges 13 through 16, but he would come on this earth to ju- judge the Israelites. And this is about a, a century before uh, Solomon comes on the earth. So the, the Israelites hadn't had a king at this point. So they were having a bunch of judges. So basically, this, uh, this angel comes before the Lord, uh, uh, comes before Samson's mom, tells her that she's going to have this um, judge, and he was going to be a Nazarite. And, and a Nazarite means that um, you can't uh, cut your hair, drink, or touch any dead bodies. So that's the Nazarite vow. Um, so as you see, if you know the story of Samson, Samson uh, kind of is uh, an egocentric narcissist, maybe. <laughs> And he breaks all those and is kind of driven by, you know, doing these unbelievable acts of strength. But at the end of the day, we all know the story about Delilah where, um, you know, he, he, the, the, he's, he's already taken out a ton of, of uh, Phil, Philistines at this point. And he's with Delilah and, they're trying to, and the Philistines are trying to figure out what is causing Samson to have these unbelievably acts uh, of strength. And, Delilah, uh, you know, asks him, and, a, and the first couple times he gives her, uh, you know, the wrong answer, and, and they try to come in and take him over, and then finally he's so in love or whatever, and he tells her, you know, that it's his hair, and they cut, cut his hair, and so the F- Philistines come in, capture him, um, knock out his eyes, uh, and then I always have this mental picture of, of, of Samson, like, pushing around this grind mill, you know, and then ultimately, as you know, the story goes, um, he gets called to the, um, a big party that the Philistines were having, and, um, and it's in the, the god of Dagon, this palace, the god of Dagon, and uh, they bring Samson out just to kind of make fun of him. They put Samson in between the two pillars, and, um, and Samson asks God one more time, you know, God, will you give me strength now? And his broken weakness, can you give me strength now? And he gives Samson the strength. Samson takes out the pillars, collapses on 3,000 plus Philistines. Um, so I, I wanted to tell you that story because really what, what I'm getting into with the Beatitudes is there's this interesting cycle that, that's taking place. Um, I'm going to put this up here. Um, and and I'll say it for people that can't see it in the back, but it's 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 very um, it's easy for it's something that's taking place every single day in our lives, whether we know it or not. But there's this natural cycle. Like for instance, um, if uh, I know many of you uh, in s- some way, shape, or form have been in a position of authority where you've had to discipline, whether it's a dog, whether it's um, a son or a daughter, um, whether as an employee, employer you've had to talk to an employee or any s- sort of form of leadership. But there's, what's, what's really interesting is when um, you communicate to that person what they've done wrong, you know, there's a cycle of what takes place. And, and typically what the cycle looks like is there's some sort of revelation or understanding of what went wrong, right? If you don't understand what you did wrong, how, how can you deal with that in a disciplined way? And then there should be some sort of brokenness or mourning, right? After that becomes more of a revelation of understanding of why, you know, what happened happened. 
And then this repentance should happen. And after that repentance, there's some sort of redemption and peace, right? That should take place. That's like kind of a natural form, ideally, if you're disciplining somebody, that should take place. And so what's happening in, in the Beatitudes is I feel like the Lord is kind of really getting to that cycle. And as you can see, um, some people use PowerPoint. Uh, as you can see, these are the Beatitudes right here. So you have blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those that thirst for righteousness sake, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those that are persecuted. And so you can see this cycle, and this is kind of what the Christian life looks like in a lot of ways. Um, and so this is what the Lord's revealing to us. Um, so even in the story of Samson, you can see that Samson... You know, what happened, um, you know, the egocentric, egocentric narcissist finally got, became poor in spirit. He became humbled, right? He probably legitimately mourned when he was sitting there in prison and his eyes were poking, poked out and he legitimately had a chance to think through what he did, right? Then he probably had more of a submissive spirit and it opened up to say, hey, you know what, God, I'm not in control, you are. So instead of tr- trusting in my righteousness, I'm going to trust in your righteousness. And that allowed him, to, allowed him on this journey and so at the end of the journey, there was a, there was a, there was a redemption that was allowed to be occurred, it, which, is, which is really cool. Um, and I want to talk about, about uh, you know, uh, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So it's kind of natural, right? So we talked about it. If, if you're truly driven to humility from something, if you're truly um, humbled, what, what does true mourning look like? You know, what does your spirit look like when you're really sorry? I know oftentimes, um, I know with my daughter, Lucille, unless I see some sort of, you know, oftentimes it could be crying, it could be something, but you see a truly like she's, she's sad, like she's getting broken from it. So that brokenness is, is, is driving her to some sort of a legitimate mourning, right? And then it allows her to have more of a meek, which basically means a submissive spirit. It drives her to have more of a submissive spirit. And so as believers, when, um, you know, when we're walking in our daily Christian life, and the Lord's continually revealing our sin to us, and we should be walking in, this, this, this should be our journey that we're walking in. Um, In verse, uh, in verse 13 of, of um, Matthew 5, 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we've been talking, like, I know Brian Kelly's been in uh, James Lott and even Joel touching on it last week. Faith without works is dead. Um, which means that legit- you can legitimately question someone's faith 
if that if you're not seeing um, a, a humility works coming out in their life. And what I mean, Martin Luther says, um, you're saved by grace through faith alone, but the grace that saves you is never alone. So there should be a natural outpouring of works that take place. And what, what motivates? How do those works come forth? Is it, is it us as Christians saying, hey, we're Christians, we need to get, be good people now. Like, how do we do that? Well, really, this is how you do it, and this is what the Lord's getting at in the Beatitudes. It's that constant, cyclical going to the Lord, having Him reveal your need, having Him soften your heart, trusting in His righteousness, not our own, that allows us to continue to um, daily grow in sanctification. Um, I know that there's a lot of people in our church right now um, that relationally are going through difficult things, whether it's in their marriage, whether it's with family members. Um, and it's hard to, to be comforted in those times. Um, family's complicated and messy. Um, community's complicated and messy. But at the end of the day, We know that as believers, the only thing that we can truly hold on to is who we are in Christ and our identity in Christ. And the only hope that we have as believers is to consistently be driven closer to Christ in humility and in worship and righteousness and experiencing the mercy and allowing that to drive us to be peacemakers and allowing us to drive us to be pure in heart. Like this morning, you can't just walk away and just say, hey, you know what? I want to be pure in heart. I want to be meek. I want to be merciful. Those are great things. But how do you, how do you get those things? Well, you get those things by allowing the Lord, having him reveal to you who he is in God, becoming more aware of your depravity and letting the Lord, letting the cross, just in that illustration earlier, to become greater. Um, and so... Just like the, the, the original story that I told about the fires coming through and consistently burning. Sin, the Lord uses sin in our life to reveal our need for him even more. So the hard times that we go through aren't bad. It's okay to go through those things. Um, don't try to control it. They pushed fires out for 100 years. And what that did was that allowed all this undergrowth to come up. And what happens now, well, they've been able to control it, but what would it became even more dangerous because if a fire did come through, it'd be like a thousand times bad than they ever thought it would be. So allowing sin to come in our life, to understand what it is, allow us to drive, allowing that for God to use that to drive us to humility, to drive it to our need for him, allowing it to soften our hearts is a good thing. The Lord redeems our sin. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, you know, fires are coming through our lives in in totally different ways. Let it come through and deal with it. Allow it to drive us to humility. Allow it to reveal our need for him even more so. Um, and it's the cycle of life that he takes us through. That, it's that cycle that reveals, um, it draws us closer to him. I, uh, I want to leave you guys with this, um, this song that Bob Dylan wrote uh, called uh, Every Grain of Sand. I think it's on the back of your bulletin. Um, typically, I, I, I want to be very careful uh, with songwriters because... You never really truly understand the context. They're, they're artists. Um, you can't sit in front of a painting and say, this is what that artist meant when he was painting that. You know? But you can interpret a beauty from it that's yours. 
And I think for me with this song, um, I actually recorded it and played it at our wedding. Um, but it, it's a journey. It's, it's, it's about a journey of life. I'm actually going to read it, and then Tony's going to come out and sing it. Um, and uh, I think as a Christian, that journey looks like this. And that's why this song has been so important to me. He uh, says, In the time of my confession... In the hour of my deepest need, when the pool of tears beneath my feet flood every newborn seed, uh, there's a dying voice within me reaching out somewhere, tolling in the danger and the morals of despair. Don't have the inclination to look back on any mistake. Like Cain, I now behold these chain of events that I must break. In the fury of the moment, I can see the master's hand in every leaf that trembles in every grain of sand. Over the flowers of indulgence and the weeds of yesteryear, like criminals, they have choked the breath of conscious and good cheer. The sun beat down upon the steps of time to light the way, to ease the pain of idleness and the memory of decay. I gaze into the doorway of temptation's angry flame, and every time I pass that way, I always hear my name. Then onward on my journey, I come to understand that every hair is numbered, just like every grain of sand. I've gone from rags to riches in the sorrow of a night, and the violence of a summer stream, and the chill of a wintry light. And the bitter dance of loneliness fading into space and the broken mirror of innocence on each forgotten face. I hear the ancient footsteps like the motion of the sea. Sometimes I turn, there's someone there, and other times it's only me. I'm hanging in the balance of the reality of man, like every sparrow falling, like every grain of sand. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we come to you this morning, and we know that um, you are awesome. You know how many hairs we have on our head. You know how many grains of sand um, are on this earth, Father. Um, we can't even begin to fathom um, your awesomeness, Jesus. And, you know, this morning, Father, I just pray that um, what was communicated in the Scripture and the Beatitudes as we kind of looked into the Sermon on the Mount, um, that we can begin to understand just that cycle that you take us through on a daily basis, Father God. And I pray that you continue to, to reveal our need for you, reveal our sin to us, Father God, so that we can mourn, Father God, so that we can look to you to be our true righteousness, that we might not find our identity in ourself, in our material needs, in anything else but you, Father God. And allow that, allow us to worship out of that, Father God. Allow it to, us to worship um, out of that humility that you give us. And Lord, allow us to rest and have peace and truth in the cross that you've given us, Father God. Allow us to just to to understand that we are co-heirs in you, Father God, and sons and daughters in Christ, and allow us not to enter back into slavery as we once were before we were justified. Um, Father, I just I pray for the hearts um, and minds of, of everyone here this morning, Jesus, and allow, allow this, just, this word, the Beatitudes, the words of Jesus to penetrate our hearts, Father God. In your name I pray, amen. If you guys, uh, you can just stay seated actually when we play through this song, but if you can get the lyrics up, there we go. If you guys just want to follow along, uh, it's a beautiful song. Yeah. 
confession in the hour of my deepest need when the pool of tears beneath my feet flood every newborn seed there's a dying voice within me reaching out somewhere toiling in the danger and the morals of despair don't have the inclination to look back on any mistakes like Cain I now behold this chain of events that I must break in the fury of the moment I can see the master's hand every leaf that trembles in every grain of sand Oh, the flowers of indulgence And the weeds of yesteryear Like criminals they have choked the breath Of conscience and good cheer The sun beat down upon the steps of time to light the way to ease the pain of idleness and the memory of decay i gaze into the doorway of temptation's angry flame and every time i pass that way i always hear my name then onward on my journey i come to understand that every air is numbered like every grain of sand Finished plan 
every sparrow falling like every grain of sand. Amen. If you guys just stand with us, we're going to close with one last song.